You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM. And this week, there's a snake in my book. By that book, I mean Monster Manual. And by snake, I mean... Well, I mean Coatl, but th- there are Yuanti as well. Uh, and Nagas. And actual snakes. There's actually quite a few snakes in my book, come to think of it. You can find the Coatl on page 43 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. Inspired by Mesoamerican mythology, the Coatl is a feathered serpent. In D&D, they are depicted as sort of wise celestials devoted to a god that has been kind of lost to the ages. They are benevolent creatures with various magical abilities. In 5th edition, they are a CR4 medium celestial. They have really high AC, 19 armor class. They have 30-foot move speed of 90-foot fly speed. They have resistance to radiant damage. They have immunity to any damage not caused by a magical weapon, as well as psychic damage. They have um, innate spellcasting with a big pile of generally sort of like good-themed spells. Detect evil and good, bless, create food and water, lesser restoration, cure wounds, that kind of thing. They've got a power called Shielded Mind that makes them immune to scrying and to detecting their emotions. And then they have three different actions. They have a bite power that uh, has a deals a little bit of piercing damage, and then there's a con save or uh, the target falls unconscious. There's also a constrict power, you know, like a serpent would have, where you get grappled and, you know, you're restrained and the coatl can't uh, constrict another target. And then lastly, they have a polymorph power, which is basically the same as the chain shape power that the Deva has, where as an action, they can turn into either a humanoid or a beast that has a challenge rating equal to or lesser than its own. Yeah, and that's the Coatl. They're one of D&D's few Celestials, and I would say they're probably the most interesting of those Celestials, because they don't clearly fit into the sort of, like, Judeo-Christian idea of an angel. They also have a long history in D&D, and we're going to talk about that next. The Coatl appears all the way back in the first edition Monster Manual, which is cool. It kind of surprised me to see them there. I sort of assumed they would have started with more European-flavored monsters and only branched out later out of sort of desperation. But it's cool to see that they were already including monsters like this all the way back in first edition. They're more or less the same as they appear in 5e. They can cast spells, they have the poison bite, they have the constrict. They are mentioned to have psionic powers, which don't quite persist, but I forgot to mention that they do have telepathy up to, up to 120 feet in 5th edition, so some of that is still there. And we'll see kind of psionics come and go from the Coatl over the course of their history. 2nd edition, of course, maintains all of this, but as always, goes deeper into their life cycle, talks about how they mate for life, and they also apparently give live birth, which is pretty weird and different from how 5th edition does it, where they talk about them having these, like, gem-like eggs. They do make a point about their beauty and their inherent goodness, which is cool. They talk about how they're sort of like lore masters and philosophers, they're always, like, seeking out new information. Oh, and the second edition bite, uh, the poison just straight up kills you. It's just lethal. You got to make a save, of course, but more second edition save or die nonsense seems seems like a little much. And obviously they get rid of that immediately in third edition. 
Third edition does go a lot more overtly psionic. Uh, they can detect thoughts. They could cast spells as a ninth level sorcerer. They could like phase into the ethereal plane. This time their poison deals strength damage, which is interesting. So again, it seems that like we really haven't decided what we want this poison to do, even all the way up into fifth edition. It seems like it changes each edition what the danger is. And then in 4th edition, they appear in the Monster Manual 2. And there's a little bit more lore here. This is kind of the lore that I'm the most interested in out of all the Kawadal lore. They're described as being the foes of fiends, which definitely makes sense. But what I like more is these this idea of these divine mandates. Now, the Kawadals are given sort of roles or responsibilities, usually kind of smaller focus things. Things like protect this village or learn this secret or find this fiend. But in pursuing that goal, they sometimes inadvertently, you know, commit evil acts or go too far or do whatever, right? That they're kind of like single-minded around this one particular purpose. Because they've been created to do that, you know, they sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture in favor of this. I think that's kind of cool. That's one of the, the first bits of lore about the Quaddle that I've really attached to beyond just they're good and they look like snakes. Mechanically, they also have a couple of signature traits. They have like a radiant absorption ability where if they take radiant damage. They can kind of dish it back out, which was a little bit more relevant in fourth edition when more powers dealt radiant, but it's still a cool idea. And then they also had a thing called twist free where they could like easily escape from grapples and grabs, which feels very snake-like, but again, pretty conditional. Yeah, and that's the history of the Coatl. I feel like they're a monster that is really, really cool, but just hasn't quite, like, hit its stride lore-wise, or definitely mechanics, as the mechanics have shifted edition by edition, including all the way up to 5th edition. So I'm excited to get into the things that we think work in this new version, and we'll talk about that next. Reading the Kowaddle entry really reminded me of another sea monster. When I say sea monster, I don't mean like monster from the sea. I mean like from the seas. And that was the Cambion. I feel like the Kowaddle is really designed to be a role-playing first monster. So many of its abilities are things you wouldn't necessarily use in combat, especially its innate spellcasting. You know, it's got detect good and evil, detect magic, detect thoughts. It's got bless, create food and water, cure wounds, lesser restoration, protection from poison, sanctuary shield... Uh, it's got Dream, which we'll talk about, Greater Restoration, and Scrying. So it has all of this, like, information-gathering, interaction-type power. It's also got Shielded Mind, which makes it immune to Scrying, and to any effect that would sense its emotions, which I guess is an insight check, which is kind of cool, like a monster that basically can't be insighted, like it's too enigmatic, you can't figure it out. But I always think it's cool when they do this, where it's like, hey, if you want to have a role-playing encounter with a creature that isn't just another humanoid or a member of a faction, a Kowaddle is a really good option because of how just sort of strange and ethereal they are, but yet so role-playing focused. I wish 5th edition had more monsters like this, where they kind of push you in this direction. I think there are a lot more things like the Chul and the Cockatrice that are just meant to be monsters that you fight. So my second thing is something that gets brought up in the lore. They're described as being truth-tellers. It says, a coaddle can't lie. But it can withhold information, answer questions vaguely, blah, blah, blah. But I love the idea that they can't lie. That's like, that really should be baked into the core concept, that they are inherently beings of truth. The concept of lying to them is like outside their ken, they can't do it. Maybe they don't even really understand it. I feel like that is such a fascinating concept. If anyone has ever read Embassy Town by China Mieville, the whole book is about this culture of aliens that, that can't lie and that they, they view fiction as being like weird, crazy entertainment. 
And they get this, this weird rush off of the idea of untrue statements because their language doesn't allow for it. So something like that, I think, could be really interesting here if you really leaned into it. But there's not a great way to do that without just giving it more, you know, lore, more space in the text. But I think that's something that makes them really, really fun is this notion that they are always going to tell the truth and they don't understand why anyone wouldn't. Like maybe that makes them seem kind of gullible. But I also like that it's almost like a, a principled stand for them. Like they refuse to lie. They will always tell the truth. You know, maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's like baked in, you know, because they're celestials. They're beings of pure good. My last thing has to do with dream. I feel like the, the koalas are like edging up on this idea of being these creatures of dream and creatures of sleep. Like they have the bite attack, which knocks you unconscious. And then they also have the dream power. And that feels like an interesting intersection. So I ran a Tomb of Annihilation game for a long time that ended up prominently featuring a coaddle. In this version of Tomb of Annihilation, I kind of got rid of the Tomb of Annihilation and focused primarily on Dendar, the Night Serpent, as my villain. The sort of Yuwanti god of nightmares and, you know, apocalypse. And so a Coatl character ended up uh, making their way into the game, and Coatls became really, really important to the kind of lore and background of the world. I even made Dendar basically like a corrupted Coatl that, that achieved godhood. So I, we, we played a lot with the notion of nightmares and dreams and Coatls being able to, like, eat dreams and really getting into the kind of strange and the surreal with the Coatl, which I felt like was really cool. Maybe a direction you could take this monster. It doesn't really feel like we have sort of a dream-based monster, in 5th edition, and I think the Coatl might be a good option for that. Because they're kind of suggesting it with a few of its powers, but not 100%. So I like that. I think it's something we could lean into a little bit more. Great, and those are the things we like about the Coatl. Again, they're all kind of conceptual. There's not a lot here mechanically that I'm super jazzed about, which is something that we will talk about coming up next. Now, I know what you're expecting me to say, that there's nothing interesting happening here in the Coatl's mechanics, but I actually don't think that's necessarily true. I do think the Coatl has quite a bit going on mechanically, but I think it's just a little bit confused. It sort of can't decide whether this is like a psionic kind of mind-reading creature, or whether it's a snake, or whether it's kind of a disguise-changing-shape sort of a monster. There's just a lot going on that I feel like is not necessarily at odds with itself, but just doesn't quite mesh. So I feel like I don't when I when I look at the Coatl, I don't really know immediately how I would use it. There's no clear theme here. It's actually a couple of different ideas sort of all tangled up together. I'm not particularly engaged with its mechanics. I much prefer the concept of the monster more than I prefer necessarily looking at it and saying, ooh, I can't wait to use this power. I think that's also sort of true of the lore to a lesser extent. Like you say Coatl and I'm instantly like, oh, cool. I can see this very mythic, like uh, a feathered serpent godling celestial creature. I think that's awesome. But then where exactly they fit in the lore, I'm not 100% clear on. You know, they're described in 5th edition as being like guardians and caretakers uh, of a benevolent god that's not been worshipped since the dawn of time and that now has been forgotten by everyone but the Coatls. So it's kind of like, I, th I think they're sort of going for almost like a kami thing where they're like bound to certain places or they're, they kind of represent different ideas. But I don't necessarily think that that's really played out. They talk about them having these divine mandates. And I think that's something I would like to see a little bit more. I like the idea of them having these specific things. Like a coatl exists to serve this function. If this god made them to do something, then the idea of them being kind of single-minded like they are in 4th edition, I think it's more interesting than this kind of like, 
Are they, you know, animals? Are they angels? Are they spirits? Like, what's their thing? They spend about half of the text here talking about how they reproduce. And I just don't super care about that. Like, the idea of them laying, like, a gem as an egg is kind of cool. But I would rather know why a coaddle is interesting to use in a story than know how I could get more coaddles in my story when I don't even know why I want one in the first place. And my last thing is mechanical, and it's about innate spellcasting. I mean, I think Wizards has kind of already acknowledged the problem with this, but just giving monsters a big long list of spells makes it kind of difficult to use them on the fly. You know, looking at this, I have to like, okay, I don't exactly remember how Protection from Poison works or how Sanctuary works. I have to go and look it up. I think it's less of an issue with the Coatl because so many of these are obviously non-combat spells. You know, you're never going to use Create Food and Water outside the context of a combat. I'm never a big fan of just slapping innate spellcasting on a monster and just, like, leaving it at that. I think the Coatl and, like, the Cambion are examples where it's maybe okay because they're kind of role-playing focused, but it's always, to me, a little bit of a drag to see a large chunk of the stat block taken up by something like that, which isn't very engaging to me. Great, now let's talk about the improvements. How could we take uh, these criticisms and kind of implement them back into the monster to make it more interesting to run? I mean, let's talk about innate spellcasting first. I think that there is a way I think if you combine that problem with my interest in their kind of dream stuff I think giving them some kind of a specific dream related power whether it's just basically the spell dream or it's something a little bit more nuanced I feel like that's a direction you could go give them a unique power that allows them to influence like the sleep of people around them or something like that right that they can they can cast dream but it's on a number of people they can you know give them visions or do whatever right that like rather than it being a once per day thing it's like coattles can influence the sleep of anyone within a certain radius of them or whatever I think you could really see that tying into this notion of divine mandates and and you know if they have things to do they can influence mortals in this way. So I would say lose innate spellcasting and give them something a little bit more tangible that I can use in a story. I don't really care if it can cast protection from poison. That doesn't really mean anything to me. On a lore standpoint, I, I really do like this idea of a specific mandate, that if you're going to encounter a coaddle, it is just as important to know what that coaddle is doing, like what it was instructed to do. You know, and, and whether it's accomplished it or not. They almost remind me of like fallen angels, right? Where it's like, hey, they have been given this task and they've been trying to do it for so long that they've kind of been either corrupted or they've lost their way a little bit. I think giving each coaddle a specific mandate, maybe on like a table and saying, hey, if you're going to run a coaddle, here's different ways you can incorporate them into your story. And then you can decide, like, are they actually upholding that mandate? Have they kind of twisted or perverted? Have they ignored it? Like, what happens when a coaddle doesn't do the thing it's supposed to do? So I would get, like, a little bit more specific about that, and I would maybe provide a list of options of things that the coaddle could be mandated to maintain or to protect or to search for. And then lastly, I want to do something a little bit more interesting with their combat, like... It's tricky because both of the 4th edition powers I thought were neat, but they're very, very hyper-specific. So I do like the idea of, of the radiant reabsorption thing. I feel like it wouldn't come up very much. Maybe you could make them a little bit more kind of Earth-like and give them elemental reabsorption, where if they take damage of, you know, any of the elemental types, they can convert it into more radiant damage or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what that iteration would be. That's maybe something we can discuss on the stream. There's got to be some way to give them a little bit more of an interesting trick in combat. Constrict is kind of bland. I like the bite power because that putting people to sleep, I think, is an interesting action economy thing. But so many monsters grab. And like, I get why that has Constrict. It's a snake. But there's just nothing here that makes running them in combat feel that interesting to me. There's got to be some way to redo the radiant absorption and make it interesting.
even if it's as simple as something like the Flesh Golem getting hit points back from lightning damage, doing something similar with the Coaddle where it can either get the hit points back or it can add them to its damage or whatever. And I believe that's the end of our Coaddle episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm always interested in these kind of like lore-heavy sort of role-playing monsters, trying to figure out a good place to make stories around them. And and what's the intersection between a kind of like role-play-focused monster and a combat-focused monster, as opposed to ones that are just like clearly one or the other. You know, a cockatrice you're never going to have a role-playing encounter with, but a Coaddle you're more likely to to role-play with and figuring out like how do the mechanics serve that. Next week, we're talking about a much more combat-based monster, um, an interesting one that I don't think has a lot of provenance in D&D, and that is the Crawling Claw, a sort of zombified hand monster. That will be next week. But thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, thank you for listening. Sorry if I ruffled any feathers, and happy adventure. Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter at ProDMTimothy. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even $1 a month gets you access to the redesigned monsters that we discuss here on the show. You can find us at patreon.com slash ProDM. You can catch those monster redesigned streams Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST on our YouTube channel. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, used under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.